Bibles with me and turn to Philippians chapter 1. You can take a pew Bible or on your phone or wherever you have access to God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, right in the middle of the chapter, we started a new series, folks, together on Philippians. Break out to the joyful mind of Christ. So Philippians is about joy. It's written from prison to a church that was founded by a jailer, and, and among others. And uh, Paul had been in ministry and relationship with them. He shared with them on one of his journeys, his missions efforts, and about a dozen years later, he's in prison for sharing the gospel, and he's visited by one of the church leaders uh, to share some help financially. Often when you were in prison, especially if you were a Roman citizen, you'd be kind of under house arrest, and uh, so you had to provide some of your own resources if you wanted to be more comfortable, and so he was confined. Often when you were confined, you were actually kind of tied to the guard next to you. So you got to know the guard pretty well because you'd be kind of handcuffed, so to speak, uh, together. So Paul is in jail writing to a church that was founded by people that served in a jail and he shares with them how to have a, a joy-filled, a rejoicing life even in the midst of hard times, right? And you might say, you know, Brian, you don't understand my situation uh, because I'm hurting more than you are right now. And that might be true. But with Paul, he lived this circumstances that were extremely challenging. And if, if, you're, if, if you've ever spent any time in jail or in prison, chances are you haven't told anybody else about it if you're far enough removed, right? And it's nothing that we're proud of, right? And we're kind of sad about that. Um, but you probably feel, and I've visited many times in jails and in prisons, and people feel ineffective, and they feel worthless, and they feel lost, and they feel alone. And here we see in the most trying of circumstances that the Apostle Paul it, writes this beautifully affectionate letter. And that's where, we, where we're at in, in Philippians. And if you take uh, that... Um, outline inside your worship folders, and I know there's a few things in there, turn it over on the back, you can see where we're going. And that helps us kind of organize our thoughts. And really, we get distracted by a lot of things, and sometimes it's helpful to kind of look and see what God's Word has for us. And, you know, this is a structure that I put together, so it's not from the Bible, but it's based on the Bible to help us understand. And so how do I experience joyful, empowered living in the midst of challenging, discouraging life circumstances? I think that's what the letter is about. And I broke it down by chapter, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're called to partner, we're called to imitate, we're called to lose, and we're called to live. And, we're, and, and the partnership is about our mission, that's our service to the gospel. The imitation is our mindset where we submit to the example of Jesus, and we submit to the example of others that Paul mentions in chapter 2. We also lose, and that's about sacrifice, losing confidence in ourselves but also losing um, what we alt often kind of want to have in life and say, what is more important than following Jesus, right? And so we sacrifice, we lose some things, and, and we run this race, as Paul describes it, to follow Christ. And then the last chapter is about the manner of living, and that's where we, this joy and this satisfaction, where we live in the presence of Christ, and we really live realizing that True provision comes from the Lord. So that is the, 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 the book in a nutshell. We started last week on the partner, partnering in spiritual growth. And, and you can see that if you turn the outline on the front, just look in the top, the, the small writing there. 
where we enjoy this fellowship, we experience emotional joy together, and Paul is really connected to these people. He's very emotional in this letter. And then he, he ended the last few verses, 9, 10, and 11, in the middle of the chapter, where he, he calls for a prayer for love that's characterized by spiritual growth, and then he jumps into the ministry of the gospel, and that's where we're at this time. And so from, from verse 12 to 30, we see we're called to partner in the ministry, that's service of the gospel. That's what we do for the sake of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And so we advance the gospel in every circumstance. That's the first couple of verses. And he's writing, remember, from prison. And, and sometimes, you know, if we are in prison or we know somebody in prison, we think, well, one, maybe they deserved it or, or they're kind of more pathetic individual or we're embarrassed. All these things go through our head. And with the Apostle Paul, here he is, an apostle, a leader, and he's in prison. And, and, and he wanted to go visit these people, and he wanted to go to, to minister in, in Asia, but at times he's arrested. At one time he was shipwrecked, and he doesn't always get to go where he wants to go. In fact, he's so ineffective of, in traveling that he ends up in prison. And so it appears to be that Paul has, what? Failed, right? It didn't go like he wanted it to. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Really? I mean, that, you know, our success-oriented culture says, you've got to be kidding. Paul, you're in prison. There seems like there would have been better uses of your time. As a result, has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I see a couple things here. I put them on your outlines in this section. You know, we're called to advance the gospel in every circumstance. We can always think of a reason not to be involved in gospel ministry. I'm too busy. I'm, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm, you know, when another stage of life, I'll handle this. I don't have my life together right now. The circumstances don't line up. I'm, I'm unhealthy. You know, whatever it might be. But here we see Paul in prison. He says, hey, you know, let's advance the gospel in every circumstance and trust God to work in apparent failure. You notice that in verse 12? Um, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, well, Paul, how is that possible? You're in jail. That's not a circumstance that anybody wants to be in. You are confined. Your ministry is limited. And I love what he says as a result, verse 13, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Now, notice the guy. Brian, you just slip your hand up here real quick. Yeah, right here, like this. They're chained together next to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Right? Thanks, Brian. So, he, he uses every opportunity. So what he says is, hey, I have a whole new network of contacts that I wouldn't have normally had. And I get to tell him about Jesus. See, he shares at all times. And he advances the gospel in every circumstance. And he trusts God to work in his apparent failure. And he shares the gospel. So whether it's the legal officials, whether it's the Roman officials, whether it's the jailers, 
in all those different situations, he looks for opportunity. He has opportunity to write. He can't travel. He might be on his way to Rome here, right? There's a, some transition in when he wrote some of these letters. And he's confined, but he does whatever he can to share the gospel at all times. And, and look what he says. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. He offers courage to others through his example. You know, they see what he's doing. It's like, oh, wow, if, if Paul can follow Jesus in this set of circumstances, maybe I can too. See. I put on your outlines for this little section here. Do I complain about my circumstances or do I celebrate gospel contacts? Right? You think about your unique set of circumstances, whether or not you, maybe you're spending a lot of time at the doctor or in the hospital where you've got some financial problems, so you're talking to those accountants out there, or maybe some legal things, you're talking to those attorneys, maybe uh, school problems, right? So you've got to talk to the principal, whatever it might be. Think about all those extra contacts you have as a result of whatever circumstance you're in for the sake of the gospel. So do I tend to complain about my circumstances or do I celebrate the contacts that God gives me in my unique situations, good situations and bad situations. We advance the gospel in every circumstance. His partnership in the ministry of the gospel goes on. We're called to preach the content of the gospel. And sometimes we think preaching. That's what I'm doing right now, preaching, right? I'm a preacher. I was just called a preacher this week. And sometimes people use that as a slur, or you're just a preacher. Other times people say, hey, preacher, you know, it's good, good and bad, right? And well, don't preach at me. We use the word that way. But preach here means proclaim, right? To tell someone the truth about Jesus. And that's something we all can do. I might be a preacher, but we all can preach or proclaim the gospel. And so, starting in verse 15, he's talking about his situation where he advances the gospel in every circumstance, but then he says, you know, there, there are some that preach the gospel contentiously or critically or maybe for self-promotion, Right? Uh, maybe for uh, focusing, you know, we live in a, a kind of a celebrity culture, right, in our culture, for example, so maybe a preaching or a pastoring is one way to get famous and to get wealthy. I'm not sure how I see that wealthy and famous part here, but, um, but for some it might be, right? So it says, he says this, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. There's good motivations and bad motivations for sharing. He says, the latter do so in love, that's the goodwill, folks, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. It was easy to take pot shots at uh, Paul because he's in prison. Well, why would you listen to Paul? He's in the slammer. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But catch this, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. A couple things here, and I put on your outlines two things. We promote the Christ of the gospel instead of self-promotion. It's obvious here that Paul is arguing against using the gospel, using Christian ministry to put the emphasis on ourselves. And I really encourage you, you know, whether it's myself or other Christian leaders, we have a Christian celebrity culture too, don't we? Right? And it's kind of crazy. We're not called to celebrate, right, celebrities and Christian celebrities. We're called to celebrate Jesus. And what I love about Billy, for example, 
is that the emphasis wasn't on Billy Graham. The emphasis was on Billy Graham pointing people to whom? To Jesus. But often there are those that will use Christian ministry to point at themselves and say, look at me. Look at how effective I am. Look at how good I communicate. Look how many books I've written. You name it. But here we're called to promote Christ to the gospel instead of self-promotion. We don't use Christian ministry to promote ourselves. We use it to promote Jesus. Second thing in this little section here, we focused effort on the gospel instead of contentious criticism. What Paul says is that I'm going to be criticized. I'm in prison for the sake... By the way, he wasn't thrown in prison for doing something bad. He was thrown in prison for sharing the gospel. And he says, okay, you can criticize me. You can be contentious. But as long as you're preaching the gospel, I don't really care. And see, criticism can derail us, right? And contentiousness, oh, I've got to defend myself. I've got to get involved and I've got to speak up and, and stand for my rights. And, or a critical spirit, man, I just want to go hide in the corner of these people. It weighs me down how bad they talk and the things they say. Paul says, no. Let's focus effort on the gospel instead of this critical, contentious spirit. And as long as Jesus is being preached, let's keep the main thing the main thing. We preach the content of the gospel. Question in this section is, do I engage in and encourage the preaching of the gospel? Am I involved in proclaiming the gospel? Do I share the content of the gospel with somebody in my life? Do I share with my children, a co-worker, a loved one, mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, neighbor? At some point, somewhere, sometime, not just the actions of a believer, but the words of the content of the gospel. Do I engage in and encourage the preaching of the gospel? Paul goes on, and this is a beautiful section of one part of Philippians. You know you might know this next section. And really, it's the end of verse 18 through 26. And this is where we're called to determine to continue in gospel service. Where we, where, where, where we say, I'm going to determine to, to kind of keep going. And so he says, yes, I'll continue to rejoice. That rejoicing, that joy thing is always here. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of God, by the way, notice that, prayer provides the continuation of the gospel and the supply of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's through God's power. He says, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's hoping that, hey, I think I'll get out of prison, I hope. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by, and I'm going to say it this way because that's how he describes it, by the process of my death. So what Paul is saying here is whether I live or whether I die, I think through torture and in pain, as a martyr. That's kind of the language he's using here my desire and my expectant hope through the prayer of God's people and the supply of the Spirit of Christ is that I will be able to stand firm in the gospel. And whether my life is cut short or whether my life is long, I'm praying for maximum gospel impact. And on your outlines, I put it this way, we pray for max gospel impact versus max lifespan. And folks, if we're real with ourselves, most of the time we pray for our long life and we don't pray as much for maximum gospel impact. 
Paul says, whether by my life or death, if it increases gospel impact, impact, I'll take both or either. And then this beautiful phrase, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. We think just the opposite. Well, if someone dies, or they die younger when they die. Oh, it's horrible. Paul says, no, it's better by far. He understands he's in prison. It's like, would I rather be in prison? Confined, chained up to a smelly guard? Or would I rather be with Jesus? I don't know if I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. See, Paul prays for maximum gospel impact versus a maximum lifespan, but he also seeks maximum growth impact versus a release from hardship. For the believer, when we enter into the presence of the Lord, for me to live as Jesus, but to die is what? It's gain because we get to be with Jesus. And he says, Paul says, I desire that, I want that, and in hard circumstances, I, I long for that, but reality is, I want to see others grow spiritually and I want to have continued impact. So instead of being released from hardship, I want to continue to bless others with the ministry of the gospel. Isn't that great? That's a perspective changer. Key question in this section, do my prayers reflect desire for perseverance in ministry? Do my prayers reflect my desire for my personal perseverance in service of the gospel. Last little section. We strive for conduct worthy of the gospel. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, he's not sure whether he's going to be able to come see him again or not. He says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending, that's kind of fighting as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is the sign to them that they will be destroyed, that you'll be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now I hear that I still have. Big kind of lots there. Two key things, though, when we strive for conduct worthy of the gospel. One is we stand like a soldier, that's the first image, in the cause of Christ. And he uses this, this, this phrase, we stand firm, we contend, that means it's a battle, as one man we're unified for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in a courageous way, we stand like a soldier in the cause of Jesus. And that takes unity, that takes firmness, that takes realizing it's a spiritual battle and dealing with fear and then living anyways courageously for the Lord, even if I'm scared, even if I'm timid. 
But the second thing there, and this is the harder one for us, right? Is starting in verse 29, he says, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Oh, you got to be kidding. It's been, and that word granted means like a gracious act, right? When I receive forgiveness, that sounds good. But Paul is saying that there's something gracious from the Lord when he allows us to suffer on his behalf. I put on your outlines this way, expect to suffer for the cause of Christ. And we're not talking just the normal life suffering that happens to everybody. But we're talking about the suffering, the embarrassment, the persecution, or things like that that come because you're a believer, right? The financial disadvantage or the, or the, the people kind of looking at you differently. So we stand like a soldier, but we also expect to suffer for the cause of Christ. You know, there's a ministry called Open Doors International. And we don't think a whole lot except when we read it about, you know, Christian persecution. But uh, the, their, the, their Christian ministry is, um, and they, they kind of describe what Christian persecution looks like. I won't go into it. It's, it's not pleasant. But by their estimates, and I think they're pretty accurate, by their estimates, every month, month in and month out, about 255 Christians are killed, 104 Christians are abducted, 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage, 66 churches are attacked, and 160 Christians are detained and imprisoned without trial, all because they are a follower of Jesus. You add up those numbers, that's a lot, right, over time? Paul says, I want you to stand like a soldier and expect to suffer for the cause of Christ. It's part of the deal. Does my life conduct in my call reflect my true citizenship? If you look at verse 27, whatever happens, conduct. That word conduct means to live as a citizen. He was writing to a Roman colony who understood the advantages of Roman citizenship. And he says, I want you to live like a citizen, not of Rome. I want you to live as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. And he says, does, my, does our life conduct, does my life conduct and my life call reflect my true citizenship as a citizen of Jesus, or a citizen of Jesus' kingdom? The suffering thing and this standing firm like a soldier thing is a little challenging. My dad, uh, and, I, and I'll close with this, my dad, a uh, longtime law enforcement guy, we were a law enforcement family, so... Uh, police officer, uh, deputy, uh, chief of a unit in San Francisco, a variety of different things. Served in the military, police, in the Army, you name it, in the Marine Corps as well. And I, I read in this last week associated with the killings in Florida. Horrible, right? And, and one of the disturbing things, I, and I hope maybe they're you know, reporting inaccurately, it's just not true, is the school resource officer. Did everybody see that? That there's, it looks like he stayed outside the building for about four minutes, yeah. an armed uh, officer, and didn't enter. Anybody else read that? And I'm hoping it, that's wrong. And then I talked to my dad yesterday, he called me for my birthday, and I said, hey, Dad, what gifts? We're, you know, my dad's decades, decades in law enforcement. And he says, you know, son, I, I, he says, and I, and I hope it's not true, and I, I'm not going to say the guy's name, and it looks like there's maybe even a couple, a couple other deputies. He says, son, you know what we're trained to do over and over, so we're trained to call in a situation report, and then you run to where the shooting is, right? And you run to where the shooting is happening. That's what we've been trained to do over decades. And when you read reports that somebody, and I hope they're wrong, didn't do that, it disturbs us, right? 
And I'm speaking as a longtime law enforcement family. I lived with that reality in my dad's life for years, right? That dad was a man that ran to where the shooting is, right? And he didn't talk about that like it was a bad deal, right? He talked about like that, that it was a privilege to do that. Isn't that crazy? You understand what I mean? And my dad's a normal guy. I'm not kind of praising my dad overtly. I'm just saying, when, when we had that discussion yesterday, Dad was acting as if that was something that he was honored to be able to do on behalf of others. You with me? See, I think that's what Paul's describing here. See, we're called to run in. We're called to conduct ourselves, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're not called to back off into the corner and cower, whether it's through timidity or criticism or whatever it might be. We're called to say, okay. I'm ready to stand like a soldier. I'm ready to suffer, and I don't like suffering more than anybody else. But the Apostle Paul, who is in prison, and maybe I don't understand completely, but he does, he says, it's been granted to us. That's a gracious favor on behalf of Christ, right? Is that a perspective changer for you? See, does my life, conduct, and call reflect my true citizenship? Have we considered the fact that standing as a soldier and standing to suffer for Jesus is a privilege because of who Jesus is? All right, let's pray. Father, help us.